We are continuing a series that we've been in for some time now in the Upper Room Discourse. So it's this little piece of the scriptures in John where Jesus turns from his public ministry more to a personal ministry to his disciples right before he's going to go and perform the work on the cross and raise from the dead. You're catching Jesus with his disciples in his last moments on earth. This beautiful picture, most intimate ministry we see with Jesus and his disciples. And so we're going to continue that in John 16 today. I don't know about you, but Megan and I really love live music. And whenever we were dating, Megan had gotten some tickets to a, a Goo Goo Dolls concert. We lived in Las Vegas for us. What are we laughing about? What's that? A, showing my taste in music some, maybe? I don't know. But Megan and I were going to this concert, and I had a call in because we were getting pretty serious in our courtship. And I had a call in to the Goo Goo Dolls to see if there was any way possible that I could propose on stage at the Goo Goo Dolls concert. And the reason was because I thought, hey, if I get her on camera in front of at least 10,000 people, the pressure's going to be on her. There's no way she's going to say no in front of that many people. Unfortunately, they never called me back. We enjoyed the show, but I proposed after the concert by the Bellagio Fountain. So that was a lot of fun as well. So recently we were at this show in Atlanta and taking in the music. And much of the music was new to us, but it didn't really matter that much because we appreciated the live music so much. And while we were there, I couldn't help but notice... It's been a while since we've been to a concert, but I couldn't help but notice how many people were so attached to their devices while at the concert. I mean, they were holding their phones up. They were like trying to see through their phones and watch the show at the same time. And as I was there, I'm like, I've seen the same thing at weddings, right? Have you guys seen the same thing? Everybody's like trying to film. It's like, that's why we hire a photographer. Somebody's going to take pictures. They're going to capture this. And, and I started thinking about that experience. And I thought to myself, have we lost our ability to, to feel as a culture, to, to live in the moment? And is it even possible for us to really be present anymore? Is it possible for us to enjoy music? Is it possible for us to be in the moment, to enjoy the arts, to enjoy food, to enjoy drink, to enjoy others' fellowship without being, trying to be connected somewhere else? Why do we behave this way? In some cases, I think that we behave this way because we're trying, to, we're trying to take moments of happiness and pleasure, and we're trying to stretch them into something that they can never become, which is joy. And this is exactly where Jesus takes us this morning. He meets His disciples. They're trying to manufacture joy in the upper room. They're trying to tell Jesus that He doesn't know what's best, that it's not best for Him to go away and to go to the cross, but it's best for Him to stay with them. They're trying to stretch this moment of pleasure and happiness to create joy. So today the scriptures are leading us to this topic of joy. John Piper writes a lot about joy. And he defines joy as this right here. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. And it's produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. That's what joy is. Joy is a feeling. It is a feeling. And we talked last week about this idea that, that God is deeply concerned with our emotions. Even as much as we want to detach ourselves from them, the production of joy in us is produced by the Holy Spirit. But it's something you can feel. Joy isn't fleeting. It's lasting. Have you ever felt joy before? Have you ever felt something in your life that no person, thing, or circumstance can take away from you? Have you ever felt that before? 
This is what Jesus is after in his disciples. They're after happiness, this momentary kind of pleasure. Jesus is after their joy. Jesus is after our joy. So the big idea of where we're going today is this. Joy is the residue of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're at John chapter 16, and we're looking at verses 16 through 33. So I'm going to read this for us. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me, and a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they are saying, what does this mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. Jesus being Jesus, he just says to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answers them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Father, you disclose yourself so beautifully to these disciples in the upper room. Would you disclose yourself, would you illuminate our hearts to understand these truths this morning. Would you do a great work among us as we see Jesus for who he is, meaning we see the Father for who he really is. Your concern, your care for us, your desire for us to have joy, joy that transcends circumstances. Father, would you do that work among us this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. First of all, in this text, we see that Jesus gives our pain a purpose. Jesus describes this by telling them a riddle. Everyone likes a little riddle, right? As long as you can figure it out. The disciples are having some trouble figuring out what's going on. And you know why I think they're having some trouble? Because they're trying to understand the implications of the resurrection without the resurrection yet. It's troubling to think about. They're getting, they're getting hung up on the fact that their great hope in Jesus, their great joy, the presence of Jesus is going away. So in their mind... They're thinking, okay, we've experienced joy. We've left all that we have. We've followed Jesus for two and a half years or so, and now he is leaving us. So in their mind, get this, 
They see their joy leaving them. Jesus has something to share to them. They're trying to make sense of Christianity without the resurrection. Have you ever stopped to think about how supernatural the resurrection really is? Have you ever, have you ever stopped and, and really thought about that? I, I know we, we celebrate Christmas, as Megan was talking about earlier this morning, of the, the Emmanuel, God with us, and we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I was at this moment a few months ago where I was, uh, I, have a, I have a Hindu friend, his name is Ronik, and Ronik and I were, were talking about our different systems of belief with one another, sharing a cup of coffee. And Ronick starts going down this road, he's, he's Hindu, so he, he starts talking about reincarnation. And like inside of myself, I'm thinking like, how do you believe this stuff? And then the Lord stopped me in my tracks as my mind is going down that road. And he said, you believe in the resurrection? Do you know how ridiculous the resurrection is to an unbelieving world around us? But do you know how important the resurrection is? The resurrection is crucial to our understanding of what God has done. The resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith. And Jesus is introducing the idea to his disciples who see through a, a, a glass that's dimly lit. They can't see the full picture yet. And so he's beginning to talk. He's beginning to disclose to them the resurrection. And that's why he says this, a little while you will see me no longer. A little while you'll see me no longer. And he's talking about the fact that they're going to be sorrowful when Jesus goes on that Roman cross. Jesus is going to be taken away from them. Because the cross means one thing, it means death. So in their mind, the death of joy, the death of fulfillment, the death of everything that they've known. And Jesus begins to, to disclose to them, no, 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 a little, a little while you're not going to see me, but a little while again you're going to see me again. And, and a little longer when we see him, it's going to be the resurrection. So the journey to and the source of sorrow and joy is what Jesus is after in his disciples. And as we even said last week, Jesus is deeply concerned with the emotions of his disciples. Because last week in John 16, we discovered that, that Jesus wanted to tell them more. And maybe he wanted to tell them the full picture of what the resurrection was. But their emotions, they couldn't handle what he was going to tell them. So he was conscious of that fact. John 16, 20 is kind of our main verse in this first chunk of scripture we're looking at here. Where Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament. There will be lamentation in your heart. You will be over, you, it'll seem like you're overcome with grief. And he says, and the world will rejoice while you're doing this. So there's this paradox. The disciples are weeping. The world is rejoicing. But he says this right here. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Your sorrow will turn to joy. The interesting thing about that verse right there is this, is that Jesus does not say, exchange your sorrow in for joy. Just, just get rid of your sorrow and take up joy. The word for turn right there is the same word for birth. Sorrow produces joy is what Jesus is saying right here. It births joy in your hearts. And so without the sorrow, you can't get to the joy. And you and I are after the joy. And so therefore, we have to endure the sorrow. That's what he's telling his disciples. I would, say that I, would, I, would, I would say the same thing is true for all of us. Sorrow leads to joy. We can't, we can't have one without the other. Sorrow is necessary. The big idea of where we're going, again, just to remind you, is joy is the residue of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings joy along with it as we experience the presence of Jesus. 
Second thing we're looking at is this, is that joy is born in pain. We just talked about that. Jesus is a creative guy, okay? Jesus is the most creative person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Have you ever listened to the stories that he paints, the, the pictures that he paints to, 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 to tell his disciples a spiritual truth, these parables that he talks about? Well, he uses this metaphor that's not unfamiliar to the Old Testament. He uses this metaphor in John 16, 21 and 22. I'll read it to remind you of what we just read a few minutes ago. And he says this, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And listen to this, church. And no one will take your joy from you. So the entire purpose of Jesus' work on the cross, in the resurrection, was that you and I would be able to experience oneness. Because the, the presence of Jesus in our lives is what cultivates joy. That's why the Holy Spirit being with us, it's, it's, it's applying the presence of Jesus to our lives. That's what he's doing. That's what creates and cultivates joy within our hearts. So as I said earlier, the disciples saw Jesus leaving as Jesus' presence being away from them. Everything that gave them comfort in life, everything that gave them security in life was the presence of Jesus. They saw that leaving. and Jesus is saying, look, there's going to be sorrow, but joy is going to come from this. And I think that we, we tend to think that joy is something that's optional for the Christian faith. Oh, it's great when you can really have joy, but that's just really not most of the time. I think, think we tend to think that joy is optional for us as Christians. But, but the thing that I've realized over and over and over again about the Scriptures is that the Scriptures, the, God commands us to be joyful. God commands us to be joyful. And the, the interesting thing that we're going to discover is that joy is not something that we cultivate on our own. But it's something that God gives with His presence. So you think about passages in the Psalms. The Psalms are full of commands to be joyful. Psalm 16, Psalm 100, Psalm, 1, Psalm 37. And then we see in John 15 and John 16 that Jesus is really commanding us to be joyful. John Piper says something like this. He says that, that telling someone to pursue Jesus instead of joy is like telling them to go and get fruit from the store and not apples. You see, the presence of Jesus manifests itself to us in joy. And so, John Piper's big, big thing is that we should pursue joy. Because joy is the presence of God that we feel. And it transcends every single circumstance that takes away happiness and pleasure in our lives. It's, it's a both and, not an either, either or. We can't separate ourselves from, from pursuing Jesus and not pursuing joy. It's a both and. They kind of go together. Joy is a feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit that is directly connected to the presence of Jesus in our lives. And if Jesus has raised from the dead, death no longer holds Jesus. That means nothing in life, nothing in the world, as Jesus says in John 16, 33, I've overcome the world. Nothing in the world takes that away from Jesus. If we're linked to Jesus by faith, then nothing in the world can take away our joy. That's, that's, that's the line of thinking here that Jesus shares with his disciples and we kind of glean from this. There's two ways to think about time. There's two ways to think about time in the Bible. There's this age 
and then there's the age to come. This is the scriptures say this over and over and over again. So this present age is typically described by rebellion toward God. People being frustrated, persecuted, hardship, disappointment describes what the scriptures call this present age. And then in the scriptures, especially in Mark 5, uh, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus, we see that Jesus has inaugurated a new age for his people. It's the age to come. It's, it's when all of the things that the curse did in the world begin to become undone because of the presence of Jesus in our midst. And I would propose that the age to come is an age of joy for the church. Church, we're not waiting for Jesus to return for us to experience joy. We're not waiting. We don't have to wait for Jesus to return on earth for us to experience joy because, friends, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us right now. And you and I, our battle in sanctification is to pursue joy. Is to pursue the fact that Jesus is with us and nothing can take away the joy. And Jesus has overcome the world. And there's nothing the world can do about that. They can kill us. They can take from us. We can be left with nothing, but they can't take our joy because nothing in the world can take that away from us. And that's really, really good news. And so Jesus wants to describe this to his disciples using this this metaphor of childbirth. Regarding the childbirth metaphor, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. I have four kids, if, if, you, don't, if you don't know me well, and, and I want to tell you a little bit of a story about our first child being born. Megan went into preterm labor three months before the child was born. So labor is going on three months before the child is actually born. So there's like you know, like a, a, a little while, as Jesus talked. It, was, it seemed like a long while in our situation. So for the next three months, we would go in and out of the hospital on nearly a weekly basis because we thought the baby was coming. It was pretty wild. But then we kind of get to this day where, you know, with our first child, you know, we had this really specific plan about how everything was going to go and how this baby was going to come out and how it was going to be a completely joyful experience the entire time. And we got a picture, actually, of yeah, of, of, of us right before we go to the hospital. I mean, look at that joyful, beautiful face there. I mean, she is ready to go. We got the yoga ball. I don't think we got to the yoga ball. Got a little too intense. We got all, we got every, we were ready to roll to go have our firstborn child. And we had been to Lama's classes where they had shown me pictures that I never want to see again. <laughs> we had the breathing techniques. We had the whole nine yards. We had a plan. And then Megan tells me something. On the way over there, she has me reading over the birth plan. and ready. She has multiple copies of the birth plan to hand out to everyone that comes into the room. And, and the plan was, we're not doing an epidural. If you don't know what an epidural is, it's the thing that takes away all the pain when you're having a baby. So we're not doing an epidural. We are doing this thing natural. We're going for it. And so, okay, we're going for it. I'm ready for this. So she's, she, she's in labor. And it's getting, it's getting pretty intense, okay? It's getting pretty intense. And so uh, she's like, she kind of leans over in between contractions. Hey. No, you ain't having the epidural. <laughs> begin to tell her, and this happens for, I don't know, probably 10 minutes, and then in between one of the contractions, her nails begin to sink into my forearm. And like, I feel like I'm getting ready to stop, start bleeding, and, and I tell the doctor, and I, I got a picture of that moment, if you kind of look, you guys didn't think I would actually do that, did you? Come on, I know better than that. So, so we're in this moment, it's really intense, and then we get the epidural, the, the baby starts coming, it's exciting, and then there's this moment after the baby's born, that Jesus is talking about to his disciples here. There's this moment of joy. There's a picture of 
this moment of joy when, you're, when your baby's born and it's like, man, this has been a long night. And I don't know if I ever want to go through this again, but it just kind of makes you forget about all the pain you just went through. Jesus says that this is what it's like to know him. This is what the disciples have to experience for joy to be birthed. And see, you and I, even though we weren't right there with the disciples, we must experience the same thing. There's sorrow in our life as parts of our lives die, uh, and we come to new life in Jesus Christ. This, this, this metaphor of the childbirth is nothing new. I want, to, I want to look to Isaiah 26 with you for a few moments to just kind of show you some overlap of the things that are going on hundreds of years before Jesus comes. Isaiah 26, 16, and 19 says this, O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. So what is he saying? They regretted the consequence of their sin. Those that had rebelled against God, they regretted it. And they whispered a prayer out in hopes that God might hear him. And he says this, like a pregnant woman who writhes, and that word means like contorts, and cries out in her pains when she is near to giving birth, so were we, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we had given birth to the wind. In other words, he's saying, we tried to make something of our lives apart from you, and we gave birth to nothing. We, accomplish, we have accomplished no deliverance in this earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. So we have no victory. We have no victory in life because we trusted in ourselves, is what he's saying here. And then notice the pronoun changes here. It was we, now it's yours. So now they're looking to God. You're dead in a contrast, shall live. Their bodies shall rise. He's talking about the resurrection. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. You know, praise and singing is the consummation of joy in our hearts. That's, the, that's what we sing in worship. Because of the joy that God has put inside of us, because He's put His Son inside of us. We are in Christ. We sing because there's an overflow that happens. Something that nothing can take away inside of us. And he says this, For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. He's saying, look, the earth that the dead are buried in, they cannot hold those who trust in you. So there's a picture of the resurrection hundreds of years before Jesus will ever come. And this passage is key to our understanding of John 16 because it uses all the same components. It speaks of pain, it speaks of uh, the resurrection, and it speaks of joy. All these themes that we find in John chapter 16. I want you to notice something that we see in both of these passages. That joy is not birthed by our own effort. Joy comes from God coming to us, not us coming to God. So notice in Isaiah 26, he says, we've accomplished no deliverance, but your dead shall rise. So he's saying that because God has, has come to them, he has given them life. They couldn't find life in their in and of themselves. Remember, they birthed the wind. They birthed nothing. There was nothing that they could do for themselves. Jesus says the same thing in John 16. Jesus says that joy comes after sorrow. And, when he, and in John 16, it says when he looks at us, it changes, it changes the pattern of the relationship. Jesus has to look at us. We didn't come to him. He looked at us. And that's when we receive this joy that no one can take away. This joy that overflows inside of us. C.S. Lewis in a, in a memoir called uh, Surprised by Joy says this about joy. Joy must be sharply distinguished from both happiness and pleasure. Joy, 
in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. So he's saying that people want joy and they want happiness and pleasure. We, we, we want that again. We're addicted to that. We want that feeling. He says, I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it, if both joy, happiness, and pleasure were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. Joy is never in our power, but pleasure often is. How many times have we settled for pleasure when God wants to give us joy? How many times have we looked to the world to give us what we think we need when God wants to give us joy that, that lasts? Joy that no one, that's a promise, church. No one can take that away from us. No one can take that away from us. So if joy is the residue of the Holy Spirit and it's not in our power and cannot be taken away, how is that so? I think we've got to look to the truths, that, the principles that come to us from the resurrection to understand how this is possible. The resurrection is a proclamation that Jesus is actually alive and with us. That there was a man that was perfect, that died a death he didn't deserve, buried in a tomb, cold dead, his disciples couldn't find him, that rose from that grave. And he's now with us. He walked among his disciples for 40 days or so. And then he ascended into heaven. And then he sent, immediately when he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy, I mean, nearly immediately, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God's presence among us. So we have God's presence with us in a different way than these disciples did at this point. Because these disciples didn't have, they had the presence of Jesus, but they didn't have the overcoming power of the resurrection yet. They didn't have that yet. The resurrection is a proclamation that nothing that has happened to you or will ever happen to you can take Jesus away from you. It's a promise. That's what the resurrection shows us. That the resurrection is a proclamation that we can experience death with confidence. Think about that. That we could experience death. That the thing that, that plagues us, the thing that, that makes us so insecure, the thing that makes us work so much, the thing that keeps us from our family, the thing that keeps us up at night, the thing that makes us try to keep facing people when we really just want to be ourselves. That very thing, Jesus died and rose from the dead to rescue from that. Also, death of ourselves as we come to Jesus. Remember in John 15, we looked at Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, and the Father is the vine dresser. And we said that the Father, He takes away branches on us sometimes, and we don't understand why He's taking them away. He's far more concerned with our joy than we are. Tim Keller recently said this, if we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what God gives. Think about that. How many times have you been searching for happiness and pleasure, and you went to places that you know you should not go to. Maybe they're inappropriate, or maybe they're completely culturally appropriate. It doesn't matter, because they give you the same empty feeling. If we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what God gives. Church, when will we actually believe that God is good? When will we actually believe that? See, on the cross, what Jesus does is He absorbs our sorrow. And triumphs over it with his joy, which becomes our joy. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. This is a passage of scripture that leaves me bewildered when I hear it every time. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, I got that. I can run. It's good. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this right here. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus saw his relationship with the Father in the distance, and nothing, including the cross, could stop him from that oneness with God. And because of that, the cross was almost like joy because he had to go through the cross to get back to the Father. So when, the, when we see the, the, kind of the cross in our life, when, when, when we become, begin to be crucified and God begins to cut away our fleshly desires, church, why do we, why do we think that, that, let me say it this way, what makes us think that we can experience continued joy in any other way if Jesus had to go through the cross for us to be able to experience joy? Why do we think there's any other way than the way of sorrow for joy to be birthed in our lives? Why do we run away from the very thing that God wants to give us so that we can have what we really need? In this life, you'll have trouble. John 16, 33, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Number three, joy is the practice of resurrection. Let me ask you this. What if the implications of the resurrection for your life were not just for spiritual birth, becoming a Christian, as we typically look at them, but what if they were actually also for spiritual growth? The implications of the resurrections, all those truths that we claim, that we hold tightly to because of what Jesus has done. So even though the Christian walks through the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, he also walks before the Lord in the land of the living in Psalm 116. And we see that God is making all things new according to his word in Revelation 21. So this journey is of a lifestyle of resurrection. So we begin to see God taking the old parts of us and making them new, the old parts of our habits and, and killing those things so that, that they'll be made new. We see, we see this walk of a resurrection lifestyle in us. That we're not just waiting for the resurrection and we're not just waiting for joy. We're not hiding in a bomb shelter waiting for Jesus to come back. I mean, it would be good if Jesus would come back. But church, we've got to see that Jesus is with us right now. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the fact that Jesus is with us here and now. And, and if Romans 8.11 is true, if the, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which it does, that's what it means to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Think about that. The same power, the same God, the same presence dwells inside of us. And it's from this that we see this lifestyle of a resurrection, the, the benefits of walking in this resurrected life that come from John 16, 23 through 28. So I'm just going to quickly walk through these verses here. 16.23, Jesus says this, And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. But the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. What is He saying? He's saying, hey, whenever, whenever I walk out of that grave, and I show up in, in, at the house where Thomas is like terrified, right? And Jesus walks through the door. You remember that in John 21? 
When I show up, you won't have any more questions. It'll all make sense. It'll all make sense. You won't have any more questions is what Jesus is saying. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So why do we pray the way that we pray? Why do we pray to the Father? Church, because we have access to the Father. Think about this. I think some of us believe this truth right here. Or this alleged truth, I should say. The reason God loves us is because Christ died for us. Okay, you would think, okay, Ryan, that's true. Why are you saying that's not true? I think that's incomplete. That's a distorted gospel. That's a gospel that that does not allow you to see the affection of your Heavenly Father. Instead, Jesus is twisting the Father's arms. Just love Him. I mean, I did the cross, Father. But that's not the truth. The real gospel is this. The reason that Christ died for us is because the Father loves us. Remember, we come back to John 3.16 again. For God so loved the cosmos that He sent, that He gave. That's the work that the Father has done. He has sent Jesus because the Father loves you. You have direct access to the Heavenly Father. The Father that, that, that created everything from the dust of the earth, that, that spoke it into existence. We have that kind of access to the Father. Now, why would we let things in our life take the joy from us when we have that kind of access to the Father? I wish I knew because I do the exact same thing. The, the struggles you guys have are the same struggles I have. I walk in, I'm like... I don't know why I'm not happy. I'm, Jesus says I'm, you know, that, I'm, that I have the same resurrected power living inside of me. It sure doesn't feel like it right now. It's because we have to fight for joy, church. We have to fight for joy. That's the work of sanctification. So let that sit that the Father loves you that much. Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, actually his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Finally, we can figure it out. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them. You now believe. Hail, the hour is coming and has come that you will be scattered each to his own home and you'll leave me alone. And he says, but look, I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. And then he gives us that promise that we've been talking about. We've been, the whole upper room discourse is pointing to this promise that Jesus Christ is with us and he's overcome the world. It's been on this journey of pain and Jesus is saying, look, there's a promise, there's a promise, trust me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So if our deep desire is to experience joy, which it is, we've got to lay the things aside that we know they're false avenues to joy. Your, your, your marriage will never give you the joy in Christ that you want. Those of you that are single, your, your husband, your wife that you long for, they'll give you the joy that you want. Your, the obedience of your, your children, their performance at your job, it'll never give you the joy that you're looking for. This is what Jesus wants to communicate to his disciples close with a story. About five years ago, part of my weekly rhythm in Indiana when I, where I was a youth pastor was I would go and I would do, uh, I would do addictions counseling at the local jail. I've, I just remember reading Isaiah 61 where it's, it's pointing to Jesus. Jesus talks about this. But to proclaim liberty to the captives. 
proclaiming liberty to the captives. That's why I would go every single Wednesday. I'd go to the county jail. And I would, I would use the avenue of an addiction counselor to share the gospel. They were real open on what I could, what I could talk about. And I remember this one Sunday, Matt had just, or this one Wednesday, Matt had, had come into our group, and there were about 12 or 13 of us. And somehow we get on this topic of just happiness and pleasure, hedonism, the pursuit of, of feeling good, basically. And, uh, and, and I began to say, look, look guys, like, there, there is hope in Christ because in Christ we have joy. Like, like happiness and pleasure, as C.S. Lewis said, that we, that we have in our control, it's fleeting. And, and you're going to try to take these, these moments these, of pleasure and, 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 to, and to stretch them out to create joy, but it's never going to work. I said, joy is something that no one can take away from you. And it overcomes every experience, every circumstance in your life. And I, and I sat there and I asked him, I, 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 I was just telling him this, and then he responds to the whole group, which was kind of it was a bold move because he was new in the group, and he said, man, I'd do anything to have that. And I thought, man, God, you're teeing this up for me. I was right here. Just, he said, I'd do anything to have that. I, I saw a man, just like we were looking at last week, where Peter preaches this sermon and the people that heard it, they said, we were cut to the heart. They said, Brothers, what should we do? That's what Matt was saying. The Johnson County Jail. What should, what should I do? I'd do anything to have that. And so my question is the same to you. Have you experienced that type of joy? Because the Father is more interested in your joy than you are. And the Father has given us a way to joy. It's the presence of Jesus via the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit gives us joy. So that's our pursuit is the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And as Eugene Peterson says, practicing resurrection for us means we experience life in a country of death. So it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. It's, 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 going to be, it's going to be filled with lots of sorrow and lots of pain, but joy comes in the morning, as the Scriptures say. Church, don't give up on your battle for joy. And if you're in here today and you've never, you've never reached that point in your life, you're like, man, I, I've been searching everywhere only to find that Jesus has given me exactly what I want and no one could take it away. We, we invite you to repent and trust Christ today. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. So church, as we continue in worship, let's pray together about these truths. Father, we experience life in a country of death. A colony of life in a country of death. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that, that are overcome with grief and sorrow right now that you would show them that joy comes in the morning and that joy is birthed through sorrow, through pain. And there's no other way to it in this life. And Father, as we take up our cross, as the Scriptures call us to, and we follow you, and we realize that there are things on that cross we'd like to keep, but for your sake, they're going on the cross. We pray that you grant grace in those moments where you, as the vine dresser, are pruning us in a way that is not pleasant. Father, I pray that you would increase our joy because in our joy, you're glorified and the world sees Jesus Christ. Increase our joy in you and give us endurance and the heart to fight for it at all cost. Because you are a father that is deeply affectionate toward your children. And that's why we can come and pray straight to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.